let's get ready to study God's Word. to one and all. Welcome to another episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and it's time to review another Sabbath School lesson. Please be sure to visit us at biblestudy.asbzone.com, where you can find a link to the current lesson study guide, additional Bible study resources, and all our previous episodes. Before we begin our study, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer and Bible study. We invite your presence to be with us. Please help us to understand your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Lesson 11 is entitled, End Time Deceptions. This quarter, the title of our lesson has been, On Death, Dying, and the Future Hope. We've been talking about the things pertaining to dying and resurrection, the resurrection of the righteous in particular. Let's turn to our memory verse, which we will always read from the King James Version of the Bible, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 14 and 15. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians and he says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. That's 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15. Okay, let's look at our introduction. Our contemporary world has become a melting pot of the supernatural and the mystical helped on by Hollywood, which has no problem making movies with religious and mystical themes in a hodgepodge of error and deception. The old lie, ye shall not surely die, has urged, has inspired some of the most read books and most watched movies of the last few decades, and many popular video games as well. Undeniably, we are exposed to and tempted by the enchanted ground of Satan, which can appear in myriad forms, and even in some cases can come hidden in the veneer of science. One of the most deceptive phenomena has been what has been called near-death experiences, or NDEs, where those who had died, allegedly, come back to life with stories of an afterlife. Many people have seen these events as proof of an immortal soul. This week, we will consider some end-time deceptions, including mysticisms, near-death experience, etc., and so on. These are dangerous subjects that we should be aware of, but without exposing ourselves to their influences. This is a good point, and in fact, we're going to have another word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we enter into this particular week's study, we ask that you will protect us, help us to recognize that uh, the 
forces of evil are in fact strong, but that you are stronger. We pray, Lord, that um, we won't get into unnecessary depth here, but we'll recognize that we require the whole armor of God in order to deal. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Sunday, I'm going to look at mysticism. So mysticism is a complex term that covers a lot of ideas. Um, mysticism deals with the spiritual or spiritualism in many cases, but it doesn't deal with the religion per se. Mysticism is just the arts, the, the dark arts and and actually, there's some people who feel that there are light arts and dark arts. And and so mysticism, you have to be careful because all sorts of things will fall into the, the realm of mysticism, including tarot card readings and, and astrology and uh, a number of these other ideas that, that have an otherworldliness to them, right? Years ago, I was walking down this block in Manhattan. I worked in Manhattan at the time. And I was walking down this block, and for whatever reason, I can't remember what reason I was on that block. That wasn't a normal path for me, but I had been kind of walking and dodging the the traffic. So I would I would try to stay to get to the intersection in time to cross the traffic, to cross the street. In any event... I'm coming down this block and there's a lady sitting out there doing um, tarot cards and whatever. And as I get, as I start to approach towards her, she's sitting out on the curb and the curb is wide, so I don't have to walk right next to her. But as I'm getting there, um, ahead of me, I can see her reaching out to, you know, calling out to people as they pass by. And I started playing in my head what would happen if as I crossed, passed by, uh, she were to say something. And as that thought came into my head, as I was starting to think and anticipate what she would say and what I would say, I immediately got an instruction, which was, do not engage. Do not engage. And it was stunning in its, I'll say loudness. It wasn't audible. It wasn't audible, but it was loud. It wasn't, it wasn't the normal soft. There was a sense of urgency and there was a certain volume to it. And I walked on by, nothing was said to me. I kept my face forward and I just walked on by and I made note of the block so I wouldn't come down it. But it, it, it struck me as very interesting that at the moment I thought, okay, well, if I'm, if a comment is made here, I would make, you know, I had all of these things that I was thinking of. It's like, why are you going to ask me? Why are you going to pretend to tell the future when you can't tell that I wasn't going to accept? I had all sorts of things that I was working through in my head. And just as I started to get into it, I got a distinct instruction not to engage at all. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. That's something we have to understand. This is not a game. It's not a joke. And humans are not stronger than angels, even fallen angels. So 
we don't have any natural ability to be able to defeat them, so we should not play like we do. If we want the protection of God, we need to align ourselves with God. So, here's one of the things that they, they mention. From a religious perspective, the word implies the union of the individual with the divine or absolute in some kind of spiritual experience or trance. This characterizes the worship experience of even certain churches. The phenomena can vary in form and intensity, but the tendency always is to replace the authority of the written word of God by one's own subjective experience. In any case, the Bible loses much of its doctrinal function, and the Christian remains vulnerable to his or her own experiences. This kind of subjective religion does not provide a safeguard against any deception, especially end-time ones. And in fact, the religion is already under the spell of a deception. They say here, read Matthew 7, 21 through 27. In light of Jesus' own words, what does it mean to build our spiritual house on the rock versus building it on the sand? Building on the rock, who is the rock? The rock is Christ. When we build on Christ, we focus on him, his methods, his approaches, how he interacts we build upon Christ and upon his word because he is the word of God. So we build upon Christ, the scriptures, and we let God we let God do the perfect work, right? What does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. There is a strong tendency in the postmodern Christian world to downplay the relevance of biblical doctrines, regarding them as the tedious echoes of an obsolete form of religion. I would argue that it's not only the Christian world, it's the postmodern world in general. A lot of atheism in here. In this process, the teachings of Christ are artificially replaced by the person of Christ, arguing, for instance, that some biblical story or another cannot be true because Jesus, as they perceive him, would never have allowed that to happen as it is written. Personal feelings and taste end up being the criteria for interpreting the scriptures or even for rejecting outright what the Bible clearly teaches, often about obedience to God, which, as Jesus said, is so essential to building one's own house on the rock. Those who think that it matters not what they believe in doctrine, so long as they believe in Jesus Christ, are on dangerous ground. Here's a quote from The Great Controversy. The position that it is of no consequence what men believe is one of Satan's most successful deceptions. He knows that the truth received in the love of it sanctifies the soul of the receiver, Therefore, he is constantly seeking to substitute false theories, fables, another gospel. They ask here, how can we fight the very human tendency to let our emotions and desires cause us to do things contrary to the will of God? 
Um, how can we fight? Well, we have to pray about that. We have to pray for the strength to overcome those challenges, right? We're not just going to do that by ourselves, and we're not going to do that without help. Monday's lesson, near-death experiences. Some of the most popular modern arguments to prove the theory of the natural immortality of the soul are near-death experiences. Okay, The idea of a near-death experience is where people have allegedly died, right? They went into a coma, came out of it, were under some trauma, came out of it, whatever the case is. But they class those as near-death experiences because the people who come out of it always have some story to tell about what they saw, who they spoke to, et cetera, and so on. Okay, so this is a, big, this is a growing thing. I don't want to say it's a big, big thing. Um, they give us a, a slew of verses here. And they say, how many of these verses talk about any kind of conscious existence while the resurrected ones were dead? And why is that answer important? Well, the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. There are one, two, three, four, five, five examples here. And we could add the resurrections of the Old Testament. And in those resurrections, we don't see any of the resurrected parties saying, oh, oh yeah, I had been so-and-so place. Um, I had this experience. I was, I went somewhere else, went to the afterlife, whatever. That doesn't happen, right? It doesn't happen. Now, to be fair, a negative doesn't always prove something, right? The fact that there are five verses here and none of them support the idea of the dead um, having been to some other place, it doesn't mean that there isn't a sixth verse or an eighth verse somewhere that does. So it's really hard to prove things with negatives. But it's quite interesting that there are zero examples in the scripture that support it. Not just, not these five. Because there are more than five resurrections. And yet there are zero examples in the scripture where this, is, where this has occurred. They said here, all near-death experiences reported in modern literature are people considered clinically dead, but not really dead. In contrast to Lazarus, who was dead for four days and whose corpse was rotten, or as his sister put it, by now he stinketh. Neither Lazarus nor any of those others raised from the dead in biblical times ever mentioned any afterlife experience, whether in paradise, in purgatory, or in hell. This is, indeed, an argument from silence, but it is in full agreement with the biblical teachings on the unconscious state of the dead. Okay? So why are there so many of them now, given that the Bible does not speak of them? Hmm. Hmm. There's a question here. This is an important question at the end of Monday. How fascinating that NDEs, near-death experiences, often now come with the imprimatur of science. 
what does this teach us about how careful we need to be, even of things that science supposedly proves? Yeah, science can only prove things it can measure. At the end of the day, that's the truth of it. If you can't measure it, science can't prove it. Someone has to have measured it at some point, and then that measurement has to be checked. So, for near-death experiences to be tested with science, you'd actually need someone to be equipped with um, some kind of monitoring device so you could tell that they crossed into some other realm in some way. And that's never happened. Tuesday, reincarnation. Okay, so reincarnation is a, a uh, concept that says that when you've lived a life and your life is over, you move to this new plane of existence and you come back as some different creature. Uh, sometimes it's because of who you were or how you behaved. Sometimes it's because of um, your personality, what you achieved, what you did not achieve. Okay. Here's a paragraph. For some, reincarnation is thought to be a process of spiritual evolution that allows the spirit to attain ever greater levels of knowledge and morality in its journey toward perfection. Hindus believe that the eternal soul goes through a progression of consciousness or samsara at six classes of life, aquatics, plants, reptiles, and insects, birds, animals, and human beings, including the residents of heaven. Okay. They give us uh, Hebrews 9, 25 and 26, 1 Peter 3, 18. And they ask, if Jesus died just once, as quoted in Hebrews 9, 28 and 1 Peter 3, 18. If Jesus died just once, and likewise all human beings die just once, why do even some alleged Christians believe in some form of reincarnation? This is a good question. Now, slight disagreement with the question. In a general sense, every human being dies once. But folks like Lazarus didn't just die once. Lazarus died and was resurrected. In a general sense, every person's going to die once. But in a very specific sense, we know that the Shunammite woman, Dorcas, well, not the Shunammite woman, her son, Dorcas, um, Lazarus and a few others are going to endure death more than one time. Okay. Reincarnation is incompatible with Christianity. Incompatible. So we have to really understand because sometimes we agree to a series of things, not recognizing that they are in opposition to what we believe and teach. Wednesday, necromancy and ancestor worship. So, essentially, worship of the dead. Okay? Worship of the dead. Yeah, that was never allowed to God's people in ancient times. And God still is opposed to it. 
God still is opposed to it. Saul got himself in trouble associated with it. Okay. We don't pray to our our dead family members. We can't derive any wisdom from them. If they didn't find some way to record it before they died, we'll never have it. Okay. We will never have it. A lot of verses in, in this week's lesson, and particularly this day's lesson. So bear that in mind. Now, Thursday, they say personations and other appearances. Similar to necromancy are the demonic personations of the dead and other demonic appearances. These personations can be in the form of deceased family members, friend, or anyone. Both the physical appearance and the voice are very similar to those of the deceased. All these satanic deceptions will be used to deceive those who are not firmly grounded on God's word. Here's a quote from The Great Controversy. It says, The apostles, as personated by these lying spirits, are made to contradict what they wrote at the dictation of the Holy Spirit when on earth. Here's another quote from The Great Controversy. As the crowning act in the great drama of deception, Satan himself will personate Christ. Yeah, Satan is going to impersonate key people, key relatives, key folks that were that well, the elect should not be fooled. But he's going to impersonate as many people as possible. Satan is going to exercise a lot of power in impersonating people because if he can get people to believe with their eyes something that's opposite of the bible it is going to be so much easier for them to discard the plan that they are connected to satan is going to use as much deception as possible he started his work on earth with deception to some extent he deceived the angels that are above and now he's going to be back here on the earth looking to trick, deceive, overwhelm the senses of any who would claim the name Christ. In the same way that Eve was used to get Adam is the same way that the devil is going to use to take out the whole world as much as possible to deceive if it were possible, even the very elect. Even the very elect. Okay, they say sat satanic personations and appearances can be very frightening and deceiving. Impersonate, demonic impersonations can be scary, but they don't have to be. They could be comforting, right? Many times they go for the shock and awe value. But the fact is that we live in a society today that is more open to spiritualism. We have some work to do in preaching the gospel. And Fridays. Fridays. There's a quote from Patriarchs and Prophets. It says, Spiritual beings sometimes appear to persons in the form of their deceased friends and relate incidents connected to their lives and perform acts which they performed while living. Yeah, we have to be very, 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 very careful 
We have to be very careful. Satan is pulling out all the stops to deceive, to hurt and deceive, right? We need to be on guard. We need to have the whole armor of God. We need to pray for guidance and we need to align ourselves with God's will in so many areas. But let's look at the discussion questions here, briefly. Using the excuse of being culturally acceptable, many Christians consume whatever the media promote. Which biblical principles should guide our relationship with the media, especially when they pro openly promote views that we know are wrong and deceptive? What biblical principles should guide our relationship? Definitely Philippians 4, 8. Let's focus on the things that are pure and holy. Number two, how can we help others to overcome Satan's end-time deceptions without being exposed to the deceiving influence of those same very deceptions ourselves? There are certain folks in the media ministry who have been, who grew up in some of these places, Hollywood, etc., worked in them at, at some earlier point, and they have put together a set of tools and reviews and what have you to help parents and children navigate the, the various entertainment sources and, and what they're trying to do. And so it's important, if, if you're someone who's already out there, it's important to learn why you shouldn't be there. Um, I don't know that everyone needs to see all of these things because sometimes you get lured into temptation that way. But it's important to leverage the tools that we have. Number three, many Christians have seen the story of having Samuel summoned from the grave as biblical proof that the dead live on. What does this account teach us about why we cannot rely upon a single text or story to build a doctrine, but instead we must look at all that the Bible says on a topic? Well, the Bible doesn't show that Samuel was called up. That's what Saul intended to have happen, but the, the woman didn't do it. Samuel wasn't summoned. We actually have a whole podcast on that, so I'm going to link it. Samuel wasn't summoned from the grave individually. That's not how it worked. But you'll see the details when you look at the podcast, which I'll link in the description Okay, let's contemplate that as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to um, study the lesson this week and to recognize that there are all sorts of spiritualism type activities that are out there. We pray, Lord, that you will help us, that we will stay away from this, that we will live a life where people will want to know why we are the way we are, and where we will um, be willing and eager to teach people who are looking to come out of the darkness of, the, of this world. Please forgive us of our sins, Lord, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And may everything go in accordance with your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. You can email us at BibleQuestions at ASBZone.com. We look forward to hearing from you whether you have questions, comments, suggestions, or concerns. Don't forget to check out the full description of this episode at biblestudy.asbzone.com.
to ensure that you can access the linked resources and any related podcast episodes. This podcast is available on all the major platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Please remember us in your prayers. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study and share His Holy Word. Thank you.